0: For our children, if they'll head to the back of the sanctuary, Miss Rose and others will take you out to Children's Church right now. And while you're going, let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for this moment we come to in which we open the Bible and we let your perfect word speak to our lives. We thank you for giving it to us, thank you for preserving it down through the centuries. And Lord, we know that it's a great privilege that we now can open your word and let you speak to our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for our children and those who will be sharing your love with them. Bless them in this time. And we thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place and for bringing us together that we might be be brought face to face with the truth of your precious word. And as we think about your blood shed on the cross help us lord to clearly understand what it means and how it makes a difference in the life of each person who will receive you we love you we thank you for what you're going to do now in jesus name amen well let's turn in our bibles to 1 peter we are started last week thinking about the cross And we will go back and finish our study of Philippians after Easter. But we saw that great passage in Philippians about the great love that Jesus had when he left heaven and came to earth. And now, today, we look at 1 Peter 1, verses 17 to 21, thinking about what happened there on the cross in the shedding of the blood of Christ. And The description here in this passage of that blood as the precious, the precious blood of Christ. Let me read beginning at 1 Peter 1 verse 17. And if you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times, for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. The perfect hope that is mentioned there at the close of this, of this passage, the perfect assurance and hope that we have is because of what Christ has done for us. And Peter was talking to Christians who faced a tremendous amount of persecution and difficulty in life. And he's trying to focus them on the great truth that they have a perfect and lasting hope. And that that hope was not rooted in their circumstances or even in their own ability or goodness, but rooted in the person of Jesus Christ himself and what he had done for them. The hope we have in Jesus is the result of his great sacrifice, his work, the sacrifice of his own body and his own blood. Several things to notice here about the blood of Christ. Now, realizing that the statement that Peter makes in verse 19, you're not saved by silver and gold. But verse 19, he says, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so everything that we read revolves around that statement because he's writing to Christians, people who have been saved, and he's telling them you're saved by this precious blood of Christ. And so let's think together about several things that we find in the verses that we read. Verse 17, the blood of Christ was shed for you. It was shed for me. It was shed for every person. Because what Jesus was doing on the cross was not an isolated thing unto one race or one person or just a few people. It was the work of salvation for all who will be saved. For every person who will call on the name of Jesus Christ. That work on the cross, once and for all, dealt with the problem of sin. We sometimes want to project onto God our own culture or things that we see in the world. But Jesus stands above all culture. The gospel stands above every culture and is the same faithful and true God To all people. Notice that he says in verse 17. And if you call on the father. Who without partiality. Judges according to each one's work. Without partiality. And so Jesus did not just come for a certain segment of our world. He came for every race. And every person. And every tongue. And that's why in Revelation it says someday in heaven. That there will be people from every Every ethnic group, every race, every tongue will be in heaven. And so Jesus came for you. He came for every person. A multi-billionaire or a beggar on the street has the same access to the holy God through Jesus Christ, through what he did on the cross Now, secondly, the cleansing by the blood, though, must be received by choice. The blood that Jesus shed on the cross is blood that pays for our sin. He was our substitute. He took our place. And so he was paying the price we could never have paid or that any person could pay. And that's why it is utter futility to go through life trying to make yourself good enough for God. It is, it is impossible. And every religious uh, enterprise that is based on that attempt to work your way to heaven or to win the favor of God or to make yourself acceptable to God, it is totally, uh, it's a total failure. It won't happen. And that's why Jesus came. Why in the world would he have come if there was some other way? There is no other way. And that's why uh, the declaration was made after the resurrection, as the early church began to share the gospel. No other name is given under heaven whereby we must be saved. There is no other way except through Jesus himself. But that sacrifice that Jesus made and paid for your sin that is made active in your life when you are willing to receive that into your life notice that he says in verse 17 and if you call on the father if you call on the father who without partiality judges according to each one's work now this is not teaching a works oriented salvation this whole passage is the exact opposite of that You weren't saved by silver and gold. You weren't saved by the futility of tradition passed down from previous generations. And yet, today, there are people who are spending their time trying to carry on the futility of tradition thinking that the the act the action of going through the motions of that tradition in and of itself will give them grace and will impute to them salvation. It does not. It's futile. Tradition doesn't save anyone. We are saved not by that, but by the precious blood of Christ, the work of Jesus himself. But when he says work here, he's talking about the choices, the action that you take. You must act on the knowledge that the Holy Spirit has brought into your heart. I believe the Bible says very clearly that the Spirit of God is seeking to draw all people to the cross. It is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. But not all will come to the knowledge of the truth and some will perish because they will not receive the work of Christ the precious blood of Christ will not cleanse them from their sin because they will not receive him the Bible says whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and if you call on him he will show no partiality He will save you just like he will save anyone else. When I say save, I mean save you from yourself. Save you from your sin. Because we're all sinners. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's every single one of us. And this is why Jesus came to take our place. And to bear our sin. Become sin for us. And so when he was shedding his blood on the cross, when he was dying for us, he was dying to cover our sin, taking our guilt, our shame, the punishment that should have been upon us, he was taking it in himself so that he could put away the power of sin in your life and the life of all who will call upon him. No one can force you to love God. God loves you. And God created you with the ability to love him back. But you also can reject him. And if you choose to reject him, the blood of Jesus Christ that's already paid for your sin, that gift will not become your gift if you do not receive it into your own life. Because it must be a decision of your heart And your mind. God is urging you to receive him. To give your life to him. To receive this precious gift that Christ has paid for. But realize that whatever choice you make. God is well aware of what you do or what you don't do. Nothing escapes him. And so that's why in verse 17. He judges according to each one's work. He knows the actions that you take. And so receive what Christ has bought and paid for. The implications of the decision you make about Jesus is a life-altering, it is an eternity-altering decision. The most important decision you can ever make. Sometimes when we have a 910 year old that asks Jesus into their life, receives Jesus, I, I always say to them, or anyone who receives Christ, this is the most important decision you will ever make. And that is true. No matter what else you do in life, if you get this wrong, if you reject Jesus, then you have missed the point for your own creation. You've missed the reason why you're here. Because Jesus created you for himself. And he wants so much for you to be a part of his family, to forgive you of your sin so that you will spend eternity, beginning right now, with him and continuing forever. And so the blood of Christ, you see, makes you a citizen of heaven. Look at verse 17 once again. The Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear meaning in honor, in respect, in in a sense of awe that God has forgiven you and he lives in your life through Jesus Christ. Conduct yourself in the time of your stay here. The way this is written, Peter is saying, this is not your home. This world is not your home. The old gospel song, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. You see, this is not your eternal home. You're a citizen of heaven. When Jesus Christ has saved you by the precious blood that he shed for you, you become a part of the family of God. And your citizenship is now in heaven, and you are like someone who's moved to another country. You're living in another country, but you know that that's not really where you ultimately are from and belong. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God, and someday you're going to go home. And you see, that changes your whole perspective on life. And Peter here is urging these Christians to see that their time in this world is really but for a moment compared to the eternity that will come. And they're now sojourners. They are are foreigners in this world. And he's urging them to live as citizens of heaven as long as God leaves them on this earth. And so the blood of Jesus... When you receive him into your life, that payment that he made for you is applied to your sin debt and your guilt, and you are forgiven and made clean and right before God on the basis of what Jesus did for you, not on the basis of your own merit or your own goodness. And that blood makes you a part of his family. And then verses 18 to 20, the heart of the passage that we read here, the blood of Christ redeems you from your sin. The word redeem means to buy back. And if you redeem something, uh, you have something that you can turn in and you receive something in return, don't you? Anybody remember green stamps? Anybody old enough to remember those little books? You'd go to the grocery store. My mother, was; she loved green stamps. And when I was a child, I can remember my job was to lick the green stamps and put them in the little book. I thought it was a grand thing to do. My mother convinced me that it was, and she didn't have to do it that way, see. But you you filled up those books with those green stamps you would get from going to the grocery store, eventually then you could take them and you could turn them in and you would receive something of value. You know, it might be a set of dishes or it might be a, a platter or something that they had to entice you to keep coming to their store. Well, this is something far more significant than that. Jesus, you see, has redeemed you through his own blood, through his own sacrifice. He was a person of value. He paid the price. And he's the one who came so that he could then bring you back from death itself. What does the Bible say about sin? The wages of sin is death. And so something had to happen to make us alive. We, were, we are dead in trespasses and sins. Whether it's one sin or a million, and it's a lot closer to a million than it is to one for all of us. But we're dead in sin. We have no life. We may have physical life, but there's no spiritual life. There is no eternal life. There is no purpose. There is no meaning. There is no hope. Until Jesus sets us free. And that's why he went to the cross. And when we talk about his blood, that's what we're talking about. A lot of people wonder, why do we have to talk about blood? It's such a gory image. Why can't we just do away with it? And there are whole denominations that have. They've taken all the songs out of the the hymn book. If they still have a hymn book, they've taken all the the songs out about the blood. They don't sing about the blood. They don't think about the blood. It's It's unsettling. It's uncomfortable. It makes me feel bad. Well, it should make you feel bad. It should make you realize that Jesus died for you. Your sin is such an affront to the holiness of God that Jesus came and died for you and poured out his life. You see, the blood means life. That's why the whole idea of the blood is talked about because what happens? You got to remember, in Uh, 2,000 years ago, what happened to people if they got cut and all the blood drained out of them? What happened to the person? They died. There was no life left in them. And so for Jesus to give his blood, to pour out his blood, meant he was pouring out his very life for you and for me. And the great exchange took place. The one who had perfect life the sinless, perfect Lamb of God. He took on death so that we could take on life. His life becomes our life. We are made alive by His very life that was given on that cross. Leviticus 17, 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And so it means that when Jesus came into this world and lived and loved and suffered when his heart broke on the cross and the blood poured from his veins, he was laying down his life for you and me. And so if it helps you when you hear the word blood to think about the life of Jesus poured out for you and me, that would be a perfectly right understanding because that's what it means. That the blood of Jesus, the life of Jesus poured out for us. He was crushed for us so that we might be made whole. So that we might be lifted up. The Savior groaned on Calvary and shed his blood so that you and I could be forgiven of our sin. So the blood of Jesus Christ. The life of Jesus sacrificed for us, taking our place. And then finally, the blood of Christ has power because Jesus lives. It is impossible, really, in the gospel to separate the cross from the resurrection. We do that a lot. We talk about the cross, and sometimes we don't mention the resurrection when we talk about the cross, or vice versa. But they're really inseparable. Because if Jesus had died on a cross, but did not rise from the dead, that was not an unusual thing. You know, there were, there were countless people who died on crosses, executed by the Romans, but there was only one who rose from the dead. And That validates, it means that everything Jesus said he was going to do and did on the cross is actually what the plan of God was from before the foundation of the world to save us from our sin. And when he was dying, he wasn't just a man dying on a cross. He was God who took on flesh, the sinless, perfect Lamb of God bearing your sin, your sin in his body. I can't explain how he did that. It is beyond our ability to really fully comprehend. But what the Bible says is it was the sin of all the world that he bore on the cross. Your sin and mine. And to the point that as we've talked about, he actually became sin for us. The blood of Jesus has power, though, because he rose from the dead. Look at what it says in verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, the problem with removing the whole discussion of the blood of Christ is that it it will inevitably lead to a destruction of the gospel. A person who, who does not want to think or know or talk about the blood of Christ poured out for us, what they're doing is they're gutting the gospel. They're trying to remove the offense of the cross. And you cannot do that and receive what Christ did in your behalf. Because you have to come face to face with your own sin. And that you need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus. And that is why he gave his life. He poured out his life for you. And when you come face to face with that and accept that gift that he gave for you. Then you're ready to receive that into your life. It also will lead to dismissing the resurrection. Well, Jesus didn't really have to physically rise from the dead. You know, that is unexplainable. Therefore, it can't really have happened. And what it is talking about is he just, the spirit of Jesus, the the teachings of Jesus live on. No, that's not what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying he really did rise from the dead. It's a miracle. Miraculous. And that's what we need is a miracle. Without Jesus, without his miraculous birth and death and resurrection, we have no hope. But the good news is there really is the miraculous death and resurrection of Christ. He is alive, He rose from the dead. The same Spirit that rose, that caused Jesus to rise from the dead comes to live within us when you accept Christ into your life. Our hope, our faith rests on the sure foundation of a living, resurrected Christ who not only died for us, but rose again. And that makes everything different. I want to close by having you turn with me over quickly to Revelation chapter 5. The great R.C. Sproul in a discussion that he had about the blood of Christ, he directed people to go to this passage in Revelation chapter 5 because it mentions some of the same things that we read in 1 Peter. And in Revelation 5, what you have is John's vision. He sees this great scene in heaven. So if you want to know what heaven is like, Look at what's going on here in Revelation chapter 5. And there is the great trauma that no one was found to be worthy in this vision. To take the scroll, the scroll of history, as God was about to to let loose the judgment. This is all looking out into the future. And so if you read the first part of chapter 5, verse uh, 6, it says after the fact they couldn't find anyone in heaven worthy to take the scroll. Look at verse 6. And I looked and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, a new song in heaven, saying, you are worthy, you are worthy. To take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God. How? By your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. How are we redeemed? Well, Peter says, by the precious blood of Christ. What are they singing about in heaven? What are we going to be singing about in heaven someday? Worthy is the Lamb. The Lamb who did what? Who redeemed us. Who bought us back from sin and death and hell. So that we could have a relationship with God. By your blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. That's why the blood is precious. Because it's the blood of Jesus. It is the man whose blood it is that makes it precious blood. It's the blood of Jesus that was shed for you and for me so that we could have life everlasting. And that song is going to be sung forever and forever and forever. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain for us. Would you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for what you did in our behalf. There is no greater gift, no greater love, no greater sacrifice. And your blood is precious blood. Because it was your blood. And because you shed your blood out of your great love for every one of us. And so we pray now, if there's someone here today who's never received the forgiveness of their sin, if they died today, they're not certain whether they'd go to heaven or not. There's no reason for anyone to leave here without knowing for sure they're ready to step into eternity. Because your precious blood was shed for them. We pray now if there's someone who needs to accept you, receive you, receive this gift you have bought and paid for into their own life, may they now be willing to say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. Your blood was shed for me. Please forgive my sin. Come into my life. I receive your love and your grace. And Lord, we know that if we will call upon your name with faith, trusting you, you will save us. Now, if there's someone here today who needs to make that decision public, they need to come to the front of this church and say, I have given my life to Jesus Christ. Give them the courage now to be willing to to do that, to become a witness and testify to your power and your grace. Whatever decisions you want us to make now in these moments, Lord, we just want your will to be done. You lead us and help us to follow you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.